Welcome to the Trip Anthropologist podcast, where together we travel thoughtfully around the world, hear fun and fascinating conversations featuring locals and experts about the history and culture of your next travel destination. Be inspired and amazed at some of the world's most intriguing and iconic locations. So, pack your curiosity, fasten your seatbelt, and get ready as we take off for this week's adventure with your host, award-winning anthropologist, Monique Skidmore. Hello, travellers, and welcome to the Trip Anthropologist podcast. Each week, we're taking off on a trip to some of the most exciting or unusual destinations in the world. I can promise you that I'm just as curious as you are. So together, we'll explore the history and culture of the world, one trip at a time. If you thought the Parthenon was old, wait until you hear about the Minoan civilization of Crete. The magnificent palace of Knossos is over a thousand years older. We're going to travel to Crete today and get up close and personal with a host of mythological figures, a bull and a minotaur. Our guide to mythology and ancient architecture of Crete and of the Palace of Knossos is the head of the Tour Guides Association of Crete, Manolis Papadakis. Crete is the largest of the Greek islands, and it is an ancient centre of power that still influences the mainland. It's just under 100 miles south of the mainland, its capital is Heraklion, in the north of the island, and about 625,000 people live on this large island. Crete didn't become a part of Greece until 1913, but there was a settlement on the site of the current Palace of Knossos as far back as the 6th millennium BCE. But as Manolis told me with a wry grin, if we were to dig down to excavate its secrets, we'd destroy the palace above. Crete was the centre of the great civilization of the Minoans. The Minoan civilization rose on this island 4,000 years ago. We don't know for sure if it was a native culture or if it was in part created by settlers from Asia Minor. What we do know is that Minoan civilization and culture arose in the late Bronze Age and was abandoned by 1100 CE, most likely when the Mycenaeans invaded Crete. The ruins of the Palace of Knossos can be found in Heraklion. It's been called Europe's oldest city. The palace building alone covers over three acres. This was the cultural and political heart of the Minoan civilization, and at its height it had 18,000 residents. But by 1700 BCE, the population around the palace grew to 100,000. The palace had a ritual cult centre on the ground floor, and below the palace seems to be the most likely location of Daedalus's labyrinth that imprisoned the Minotaur. And now a quick word on a favourite subject of mine, the labyrinth. The labyrinth of Crete was a difficult and confusing path underground that Daedalus built at Knossos to contain the monster, the Minotaur. This mythological story has found its way onto Cretan coins, where from 400 BCE, a particular kind of labyrinth, it's called a single path, seven course classical labyrinth. And that's what's depicted on these coins. There are two general kinds of labyrinths, the single path labyrinth, where there's just one way to eventually get to the centre, and the branching labyrinth. The single labyrinth is the design of most mazes above the ground, but it's also used as a meditation when it's drawn on the ground. So Daedalus and his labyrinth, the Minotaur, 
Theseus, King Minos, Ariadne, the world of Cretan mythology is rich and dense. Let's go and find our local guide, Manolis Papadakis, and sort out all this mythology at the Palace of Knossos. Manolis, welcome to Trip Anthropologist. Hello, Monique. Nice being with you. Manolis, you're a native of Crete. What draws you to its ancient sites? To be honest, let's say I don't have much of a choice given my profession. I'm a tourist guy. But joking aside, from a very young age, I always, let's say, attracted to what, everything that was archaeology, history, languages is also something that interests me. So the School of Tourist Guides, so as to put it, was a very interesting possibility. And well, here I am, 17 years after having finished the School of Tourist Guides, talking with you. <laughs> You've reached the peak now, Manolis. You have to wait and see, but you know, after the peak comes, comes the decline, which is the most, which is the <laughs> problem, but let's see how it goes. <laughs> Much of what we know about Crete comes from the Cretan hieroglyphs, from the Linear B tablets. So what kind of things are recorded in those ancient remaining written tablets? So the thing with the so-called Minons, the Minon civilization, since we're referring to the, the most well-known, perhaps, Cretan, and I would say Greek civilization the most ancient European civilization, do not have that many useful written texts. So we have the Greek hieroglyphics, as you've mentioned, which date from, let's say, the 19th, 18th century, the beginning and true in which have yet to be deciphered. Linear A, which has not yet completely been deciphered, 18th century. And we have the Linear B writing, the, the Linear B, which was deciphered in 1952, 53 and uh, remains up to this day the most ancient written form of Greek. Now, the problem with this script, this writing, is that it was mostly used by the storekeepers of the Palace of Knossos or other, other important centers. So what we essentially have today are records of objects, uh, products, and so on that were kept in the stores at the time, of quantities of olive oil, wine, for example, the names of the people working there, which is a good start, but as you understand, it's not entirely enough. We do not have any useful texts, laws, and so on, treaties with other nations or people that would help us better understand how this society was structured. This mythology that I've been warning viewers about today, it's complex, but it's rich and dense, and it's fascinating. And I think we might get to a list of the doings of more gods and goddesses and kings and queens in Minoan Crete than almost anywhere else in Greece. So I thought we could take it in two steps. We first could be the origin myth of the Minoan civilization. You've told me the story of Zeus and Europa. We've talked about Asteria, Minos, and you even threw in a bit of Poseidon. Could you tell us that story? Essentially, we have to take things from the beginning. And, well, this is uh, actually perhaps the most well-known ancient Greek legend. And uh, as it usually goes, it starts with Zeus, Jupiter, the most well-known ancient Greek god the father of God and mortals, who at some time fell in love with Europe, the beautiful princess of Phoenicia. Phoenicia actually was not very far from Crete. Crete is very close to not only Egypt, but also the eastern basin of the Mediterranean Sea. And in so many words, what Zeus did was, in an attempt to seduce Europe, to transform himself into a beautiful white bull, he was successful in abducting Europe. He actually brought him all the way to Crete, and it was here that they kind of spent a certain night together, to put it this way, at the shade of an evergreen plane tree, 
that one can still find in the ever in, in the fertile plain of Messara, or is in the island of Crete. So shortly after that, Jupiter kind of abandoned Europe, who remained here in Crete, and she became the wife of the first king of the island, his name being Asterios. Now she eventually gave birth to the three legendary kings of Crete, some Minos, who gave his name to the Minoan civilization, Radamanthes in Greek, and Sarpidon. Now Radamanthes reigned over the palace of Festos, whereas Sarpidon in the third Minoan palace situated not that far away from Knossos. Now, sometime Minos, in an attempt to prove to everyone that it was actually he who became the, let's say, ruler of the whole of Crete, he turned to the gods and he asked for a sign. And Poseidon, or Neptune, uh, it's always the same divinity, decided to help him by sending him a beautiful white bull as a sign that, well, this is actually the guy where we want. So Minos, unfortunately for him, what he did was to not sacrifice the animal, was an offering of the gods, so he had to, let's say, somewhere return to them. He kept the bull in his flocks, which did not exactly please the Greek god of the seas, who decided to punish King Minos. And so what Poseidon did was to turn to Aphrodite, or Venus, the Greek goddess of beauty, who, well, kind of made sure that Pacify, the wife, the queen of Crete, King Minos' wife, fell in love with a bull, with a white bull. That's Greek mythology for you. So that's where Daedalus comes in. Daedalus, what he does is actually to create a statue made out of wood and bronze. Uh, the queen kind of hid into the statue and eventually gave birth to the, the well-known Minotaur, the most well-known monster of Greek mythology, this huge man, this giant with the body of, of a man, obviously, at the head of a bull, and who was promptly imprisoned into, into the labyrinth. Okay, that gets us through a lot of ancient mythology, very quickly, thank you. <laughs> so right now we've got a palace. We've got a labyrinth created by Daedalus around it. We've got a minotaur trapped within it. And we've got King Minos, is that right, presiding over the top of it. Now what happens to the minotaur and how does the rest of that story keep moving on? At approximately the same time, obviously the minotaur is imprisoned in the labyrinth, which mm. is actually the palace of Knossos. Mm. So at approximately the same time, the Athenians, they kind of assassinated King Minos' oldest son, Androgeos. And so King Minos was not all happy, as you can very well understand. He uh, organized an expedition against Athens, which he invaded and occupied. And it was actually there that he forced the Athenians, sent him these rather famous 14 young men, it's a very famous part of the lecture, these 14 young men and women who would from time to time come to Crete, end up in the labyrinth and obviously eventually be devoured by the Minotaur. So the Athenians kept on sending these young men and women to their death until the appearance of Theseus. Now Theseus, who is definitely one of the most well-known ancient Greek heroes, along with Hercules, an Athenian hero, came to Crete in an attempt to put an end to all of this. Well, here he kind of met Ariadne, who was the youngest and the most beautiful of King Minos' daughters. So what she did was to, obviously, well, she actually fell in love with him and decided to help him. So she uh, also turned to Daedalus, the same way her mother, Pacify, had done before her, because obviously Daedalus decided to construct the statue after Pacify the Queen of Crete asked him to. So this time, after the demand of uh, 
Ariadne, the devil said, gave her, amongst other things, the so-called Ariadne's clue, a ball of string that our hero Theseus used to enter the labyrinth and uh, leave it without any serious problems. So what he actually did was to take this ball of string, he quite simply tied one end of the string at the entrance, he made his way into the labyrinth, slowly unrolling the ball of string. Eventually he came across the Minotaur, but he obviously killed he afterwards made his way by following the string. He saved the other Athenians. He sabotaged the ships of the locals. He uh, abducted Ariadne and Phaedra, her oldest daughter, and he began his uh, trip back to Athens. It's, I think, one of my favorite mythological stories. And as you mentioned, it is one of the most well-known. It's got everything that a true epic needs to have, doesn't it? Heroes, heroines, monsters. So much at stake, and then the help of the gods, and that trickster Daedalus, who is such a great character in Greek mythology. And so that brings an awful lot of weight then onto the history of the palace of Knossos, this vast complex in Heraklion. So coming out of that mythology, there's a whole bunch of symbols, of course, Mother Earth or nature, snakes, axes, labyrinth, the bull. So when you take people to the palace of Knossos, And for our travellers, what should they want to see if they want to understand some of the great mythology and symbolism of these thousands of centuries of Minoan history? If I may say so, if someone has the possibility, the opportunity to visit the Palace of Knossos, if they can, they should definitely visit the Archaeological Museum of Heraklion because this will give them a better understanding. In the Knossos, they see the complex as it was, obviously, Mm -hmm. And in the, the Museum of Heraklion, they can quite simply see uh, an impressive number of, of objects found in situ in the site of Knossos. Okay, from all of these symbols, a couple of words of the double-edged axe, or lavaris, as we also call it in Greek. So lavaris, double-edged axe, has given us the word labyrinth. Labyrinthos, the place or the complex of the double-edged axis. So there is the theory that the palace, or rather important part of the palace, was used as a temple, a sort of a shrine, where double-edged axes were worshipped. Now, some of these double-edged axes can still be seen engraved, carved on the blocks of stone that still littered the Palace of Knossos, on some of the walls also, obviously. Now, the double-edged axe as a symbol being, according to some, a symbol of justice, the two equal parts that make us think of the justice of King Minos, who became one of the judges of the death at some, of the dead at some time. According to others, the double-edged axe being a symbol of sacrifice, uh, being the weapon used in order to kill the bull, the most sacred weapon of the Minoans, the, the most sacred animal of the Minoans, mm. and not only a sacred animal for lots and lots of civilizations worldwide, of Anatolia, which is a bit closer to Crete and so on. Now, speaking of the bull, given the fact that the bull was a sacred animal, obviously. We have found in the palace of Knossos, and not only, the so-called sacred horns of the bull, or consecration horns. Uh, some of them have been restored. Uh, one can find them, for example, very easily upon, practically upon entering the palace. Well, you have to walk a little bit, but there's no way you can, you can miss them. Uh, the bull being a sacred animal, as it symbolizes, amongst other things, the virility, the sun, uh, or quite simply the male as opposed to the female. Now, you also mentioned the snake. The snake for the Minoans and for ancient Greeks also had a completely different different meaning. 
for us today. For us today, it's the equivalent of temptation, evil, and so on. Now, for the Minoans, it was most likely a symbol of resurrection, rebirth. One can very simply, very easily imagine how people were uh, impressed by a snake shedding its skin and leaving its old self behind. Now, the snake is associated with the Palace of Knossos in that in the, it was actually in the palace that the so-called snake goddess was discovered. The figurine of a lady, of a woman, holding up two snakes and wearing a hat on which a Cretan wild goat had decided to sit, rest, because obviously the lady in question was no ordinary lady. It was a goddess, the goddess of fertility, mother nature, well, that the Minoans would worship. I think it always makes an ancient site. When we see them, they're dusty. They're actually an accretion of memory. They're built on so many other sites, and that's certainly the case with this palace. But they're also largely empty. And so, as you said, once you've had a look at the palace, if you see the archaeological museum, then you get to understand how things were in situ, and it makes it so much richer. But the other thing, of course, is to understand what you're seeing as you're walking through these ancient structures and understanding things like the symbols of the bull and the symbols of the double axes. It just adds a real layer of richness to, I think, for curious travellers to understand more about this very large site that they'll see. And it's an interesting site because it's been built over and built over and partially reconstructed, so it's very hard to try and understand what it would have been like at the height of King Minos's time, for example. So eventually, of course, even the mighty great European Minoan civilization fell. When and how did this civilization decline? Now, the conventional end of the Minoan civilization is more or less at the end of the second millennium BC. So let's say 1100 BC, which is approximately, let's round things up, some 3,000 years ago. So not bad at all. Now, the Palace of Knossos appears to have been destroyed at approximately or abandoned even better a couple of centuries before that. But I'm not sure that we can say that, well, obviously the Minos did not exactly disappear. They did not uh, one day quite simply disappear into thin air. Even though it is not clear, what appears to be more plausible to me, not only me, is that the result of the decline and eventually the fall. There was not one. Uh, there was not only one reason for the decline and fall of the Minoan civilization. So many associate the decline and fall, for example, to the arrival of the Mycenaeans, another well-known Greek tribe that came from continental Greece. Mycenaeans, Mycenaeans, Mycenae. The House of Atreides, obviously, where the tomb of Agamemnon can be found today. Uh, so the arrival of these tribes of warriors, natural disasters, for instance. Earthquakes, Crete, let's not forget is that earthquakes and tremors are a, a frequent, let's say, occurrence, but we are nonetheless not that far away from this part of the world where two lithospheric slates meet one another, with all the problems that come with that. So the arrival of newcomers, natural disasters, and so on, they slowly push the Minoans to the eastern part of the island which is the most barren and barren mm, part of it. And they were slowly, let's say, replaced. Their palaces occupied, their cities rebuilt and so on. But nonetheless, it not exactly disappeared. They kept on living and they eventually became one with the newcomers. Or perhaps it would be best to say that 
the newcomers eventually became one with the already existing Minoans. Indeed. <laughs> they all became Cretans eventually. That has been fascinating, Manolas. And today we've learned about one of those great historical civilizations in the ancient world and its monumental palace complex at Knossos. We've thrilled to the exciting mythology of ancient Greece, and we've learned about the symbols, architecture, and the eventual demise of the great Minoan civilization. Well, I'd really like to thank Manolas Papadakis for being our guide to this fascinating civilization and to the great ruins of Knossos. Thank you, Monique, for having me. And I hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Trip Anthropologist podcast. I'm looking forward to our next adventure together when we'll travel thoughtfully. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Trip Anthropologist. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast series so that you don't miss any further episodes. And please take a moment to leave a review of the podcast in the App Store. Begin planning your next trip now at tripanthropologist.com. And until next time, travel thoughtfully. 